morning to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 is our text. As we continue our studies through the gospel of Luke. Today we're going to learn how to make the most of mammon. Good, you're all there so I can start. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fall, excuse me, fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is, is just its so exciting to us, Lord, to, to sit here and to listen to it and to anticipate that by the supernatural work of your Holy Spirit in our midst, you're going to be speaking to our hearts. It doesn't matter where we came from, what we're going through, who we are, how long we've been Christians, none of that matters. You can speak to each and every one of us individually. Though the message has a theme and, and uh, a, a, a purpose, Lord, it has a different one for each one of us represented here this morning. You're such a great God. It's so glorious, Lord, to anticipate what you're going to do. Now do it, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Greenbacks, bacon, loot, bread, clams, bucks, simoleons, wad, dough, wampum, moolah, or as my bank says, Wamula. You know what I'm talking about. By some estimates, there are more than 200 slang words to describe money in the English language. Jesus and his disciples had their own words for money. Five times in the New Testament, money is described as filthy lucre. Whatever that means, it can't be good. Jesus used the word mammon. That might not be so bad by itself. It's simply a Syrian word for money. He went on, however, to qualify mammon with two comparisons. First, Jesus called money unrighteous mammon. 
Now, he didn't mean that money is bad in itself. It is unrighteous in the sense that it is part of this fallen world. It will not endure for eternity. It will end. He wanted you to understand that money was a temporary resource from God and that you are its steward, entrusted to spend and invest it on earth in ways that will pay you dividends for eternity. Second, Jesus contrasted mammon with God as two possible masters over your life. If God is your master, money is your servant. But if money is your master, then you are its slave. It might be good for us as Christians to quit using the word money and all the other slang terms and just call it mammon the way Jesus did. It would remind us we are stewards who are entrusted to use our money to serve God and his kingdom rather than run the risk of becoming enslaved by it. Jesus put my management of mammon in perspective by telling a rather unusual story about a steward. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, audit your life so you won't become a squandering steward. And number two, audit your life so you will become a shrewd steward. So number one, audit your life so you won't become a squandering steward. That's what we're going to talk about in verses one and two. We would call a steward a manager. It wasn't the steward's household or business, but he was in charge of running them. The most important thing about a steward is that he serve his master faithfully. The illustration of the steward is often used in the Bible to teach you something about your time on earth. Every Christian is considered a steward who will one day give an account to our master, Jesus Christ. We will give an account of our acquisition and use of material goods, whether they be many or few. We will give an account of our use of our time, and we will give an account of the use of our gifts, talents, and abilities. We certainly want to be found faithful in our stewardship. I, I start from the supposition that every Christian desires to be found faithful. One thing we'll learn then from this story is that since we will be called upon to give an account, we ought to prepare for it by doing our own self-audit. We can audit our own lives to see how we are doing thus far as the Lord's stewards. The steward in our story was called upon to give an account, so he first took an audit. By the way, I keep calling this a story rather than a parable because Jesus never really called it a parable. It may have been a parable, but it may and more likely is a true account that they were familiar with. And so when we first meet the steward in our story, he is a squandering steward. Verse 1, he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. This word for wasting can be translated squandering. Nobody hires or promotes somebody to squander their wealth. This steward must have started well with many recommendations, but he slacked off in his stewardship for whatever reasons. And so the first thing we want to examine as we would audit our own lives is whether or not we have become slackers in using the resources at our disposal. One way to keep yourself from becoming a slacker is to believe that at any moment you might be called upon to give your account of your stewardship. Look at verse 2. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Wow. 
He certainly wasn't expecting to have his stewardship end and to have to give his account. We should be expecting that. The Lord could return for you personally or for all of us corporately at any moment. None of us knows how much time we have on earth. And we believe from the scripture that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Jesus could return for the church and we which are alive and remain would be caught up to heaven to be with the Lord. And so just like the steward in our story, a little bit different circumstances, but our stewardship could end imminently, immediately. And when Jesus returns, either for you or for all of us, your stewardship will be over, at least as far as your assignment here on earth is concerned, and it'll be time to give your account. Now let me stop for a moment and put this into a perspective. Words like audit and account, they're cold and calculating. I don't want anyone to think that your meeting with the Lord will be strictly business, all numbers and ledgers and things like that. You know, the Lord's not going to show up with a pocket protector and a pencil behind his ear, have a bunch of angels with, you know, calculators, just their fingers are smoking, you know, and stuff. It's not going to be quite like that. It's, there will be an accounting of those things, but it's really going to be about your heart and its underlying motives. And your faithfulness towards Jesus. When the Lord took an audit of the church at Ephesus, this is before they went home to be with him. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. He gave them an advanced audit. And he listed their many accomplishments. There were a lot of things that they were doing well. The one thing that they lacked, which was the thing most dear to him, he said, was that you have left your first love. And there was a sense in which they were so wrapped up in their accomplishments that they weren't really just enjoying their relationship with the Lord. And so as we talk about money and audits and accounting, don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus, you know, I mean, you could give all of your money to the poor and still not have a heart for the Lord. And it's the heart that Jesus is looking at. And as a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul declares that you can have amazing accomplishments, tremendous accomplishments. You can die a martyr's death even, but he said if you lack love, then it's nothing. And so as we talk about these things, keep them in that perspective. You're not going to have to bring the ledger sheet. God's got all that understood. But it's really the motive, the intent, the desire of your heart with the things that he entrusted you with that he's getting at. And so suppose you audit your life, which the scripture wants us to do, and you honestly discover you've been squandering opportunities. Is it too late to recover? Well, not at all. Our time as stewards involves a constant recovery as we examine ourselves. We can therefore learn something from this squandering steward. We can learn how to be shrewd stewards. And so in verses 3 through 13, audit your life so you will become a shrewd steward. One thing that will immediately strike you as we read his reaction is just how good a steward this guy could be when he put his mind to it. It's too bad that he slacked off because he could have really accomplished a lot for his master. Some people work harder at not working than at working. If they would put their energy just into doing their job, it would be great, but instead they're always thinking of schemes for not working. And this guy, now we're not told why he slacked off or for what purpose or anything. It's just, you know, but if he really put his mind to it, he could have been one of the greatest stewards of all time. 
Each and every Christian has the potential to be a good steward. It doesn't matter how much you are steward over because you're only going to give an account of your faithfulness. And that should be an encouragement to you. None of us is at a disadvantage because of our lot in life. There's a tendency to sit and think, well, I don't, uh, you know, I don't have a ministry that I'm responsible for. I don't have much money. I don't have much of anything. And so I don't really have a chance to be much of a steward. That's not it. God is the one who has put you where he wants you to be and your lot in life, as it were. And he wants you to be faithful with little or faithful with much. And all of us should desire to be a good steward with the things that God has given us. Some have more treasure than others. Some have more time than others. Now, you think, well, wait a minute. You know, you've always heard it said, well, no, we all have the same 24 hours, brother. Well, that's true, but some people really have to spend more time doing certain things. You know, as I've gotten older, I've realized it takes me longer to do things. And I'm not even handicapped mentally, but not physically. The truth of the matter is we all have 24 hours, but some people have more things that they are, are required to do in that 24-hour period than others. They have other responsibilities, physical needs and all of these things. And so uh, yet, even though they might have more time and even though you might have more talent than others, all of you and all of us can become shrewd stewards in those areas. And so in verse 3 it says, Then the steward said within himself, What am I going to do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me, and I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. Now our squandering steward was in something of a bind. He could not go back to being a laborer. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that he was lazy. Notice he says, I cannot dig. We want to make this guy seem as bad as we possibly can. Because we don't want to relate to him. If he's an unjust, weird, I don't want to work for a living and I'm too proud to beg, then we can't identify with him. But in point of fact, we're just like him. And he doesn't say he, he doesn't want to work hard. He says he can't. And so let's take him at his word. Maybe he was handicapped. Who knows? He says, I can't dig. He says, I'm ashamed to beg. What's wrong with that? Wouldn't you be ashamed to beg? I think you would be. I would hope you would be. That doesn't mean you can't ask for help or anything, but he, you know, there's a tendency, you know, we don't really want to become beggars. And so he was in a tough place. He had a good position as a steward, and he had let it slide. And now he was faced where he couldn't go back to being a laborer, and no one was going to hire him as a steward, and he was reduced to begging, but he didn't want to do that. Everything considered, our steward is not such a bad guy. Now, Jesus is going to call him unjust in a moment, but the word translated unjust is this same word unrighteous. It just means that he was a steward in the world as opposed to a steward over spiritual things. And so the steward is just like many of us. We started well in the Christian life, but we find that we have slacked off in various areas. Maybe you got saved in a situation where, you know, you were really believed that the Lord was going to come back at any moment. You were just, man, the Lord's coming back. I, I might even want to quit my job. He's coming back so soon, but, but I better hang on to it. And, and every day you're thinking the Lord is coming and, and, and well, well, he didn't come Monday, but Tuesday, there's, you know, just like Tuesday follows, here comes the Lord and, and year after year after year. And then, and then it's like, 
oh yeah, the Lord's going to come back one of these days. And, and, and you have a tendency to let down, and you let down in your spiritual service as well. Everything doesn't seem as, as important as it once did because the Lord didn't come yesterday or last year or a decade ago. And instead of being more excited about His coming, you're less. And you think you have time left. And uh, it always, and I want to say this you know, uh, carefully, but a lot of times people are diagnosed with illnesses. And you always want to know how much time you have left. Well, one thing I've noticed, and this isn't a put-down on doctors, I mean, you really shouldn't ask a doctor that. Well, your doctor doesn't know how much time you have left. Uh, it, you couldn't do it because it, it, it's not a funny time, but doctor ought to get out a crystal ball and say, I don't know, get an eight ball, one of those eight balls, you know. And so, I mean, your doctor doesn't know. He can say, well, I've seen cases like this, and people live within this range, but you don't know how much time you have left. No one knows how much time you have left. And, and just be, maybe you have an illness and you think you have six months left. You could die before that. You realize that? So no one really knows how much time it is that you have left. And so we, we sometimes slack off because we start thinking that we have time and we don't see the Lord coming back and it's not as present in our minds all the time. Each and every Christian has the potential to be a good steward and we should be one. Now this steward... You see how shrewd he could be as he formulated his plan in verse 4. He says, I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him, and he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write fifty. 80. Now this almost sounds illegal, if not immoral, but that might be because we don't understand Jewish culture. There are at least two ways we can explain his actions where they remain legal. First of all, it may be that these amounts were his commission. Notice in this story, this steward is about to be fired as an employee. Normally when we talk about stewards, we talk about a servant or a slave in that household who rises to the position of being a steward, like Joseph in the Old Testament account in Genesis in Potiphar's house. This steward was a hired steward. He could be fired and he was about to be fired. He wasn't about to be demoted to a lower slave. He was about to be fired and no longer have a job. It's at least possible that his salary was the commission that he charged on these goods. And so when he told these debtors, knock off this amount, it was his commission. They were getting a deal. They knew that they were, and when he got fired, they would receive him into their houses. Or it may be that the amounts that the steward had them subtract was interest. You've probably heard it said that it was unlawful for Jews to charge other Jews interest. That's both true and not true. First of all, you're not told that these debtors were Jews. Nowhere in the story does it say they were Jews. It could very well be they were Gentiles and you could gouge Gentiles all you wanted. <laughs> Secondly, the Jews had a, an ingenious way of interpreting God's commandments about interest. 
Whether it was right or wrong, I'm not saying, but they interpret it to mean that you shouldn't and couldn't charge interest to poor Jews who couldn't pay it. But you could and should charge interest to rich Jews who could pay it. And so very interesting, you can't automatically say that this was wrong. So what's happening here is that this steward is offering them a no prepayment penalty transaction. Pay today and we'll wipe off the rest of your interest. But one of the things that you always ask when you get any kind of a loan is, is there a prepayment penalty or can I pay it all off ahead of time and save money on the interest? And in those days, the debtors may not have known what interest they were being charged, just that they were being charged some interest. I mean, they didn't have little atom upulators for their interest, you know, and stuff. They couldn't get online and get their payoff amounts. And so he called them in. He says, hey, really, you know, you really only owe 100 measures. If you pay today, that's what you owe. And so why not pay today? And, and this would have been, again, a shrewd move on his part. He used the resources available to him to secure the best possible accounting from his master and the best possible future after his stewardship was ended. So should we. In verse 8, So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. He was commended for his stewardship. He was welcomed after it was over. No one expected Jesus to apply this to his own disciples, but he did. Be like this shrewd steward is what he suddenly said. Sons of this world simply means unbelievers, people who are not Christians. Sons of light are Christians. Jesus will explain that both unbelievers and Christians in this world have mammon at their disposal. Well, you already know that. You have money. Unbelievers have money. Worldly unbelievers shrewdly use it to their temporary advantage. Christians have a tendency to squander it from the point of view that they could use it to gain eternal rewards, but instead they only use it to gain earthly rewards. And this is the whole point of what Jesus is getting at. Jesus puts it in terms first of friends, then of faithfulness, and then of fealty. First, you can be shrewd with your mammon and make friends. Verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, we've already indicated that mammon was a Syrian word for money. Let's discuss this word unrighteous a little bit more for just a moment. It does not mean that mammon is evil. Because if it did, Jesus would be encouraging you to make money deceitfully. He says, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. And so, is, does he want you to, you know, afterwards, are we going to take a bus to the palace? <laughs> Pastor said to make friends with unrighteous mammon. Let her ride on number seven. <laughs> I feel some friends coming on, you know, I mean... No, the Lord doesn't want us to use our money, you know, to make money in, in, in weird ways like that. And so it's not that it's evil. It simply means that it is part of this world, and as part of this world, it will not last. You can't take money with you and what it buys into eternity. There won't be any money in heaven. 
There's a famous passage in the book of Isaiah, part of which says, You who have no money, come and buy and eat. And it's to put into relief the idea that I don't need this world's goods in heaven. I can be rich in heaven. And what I should be interested in is how to use this world to be rich in heaven. And that's the idea. So you can use it to store up for yourself an inheritance in heaven. It can and should be used by you as a shrewd steward to prepare you for this final accounting. Mammon here, Jesus says, can make you friends. Obviously not friends on earth who only hang you, hang around with you, hang or hang you for that matter, who only hang around with you for your money. Friends in eternity. When you fail means when you die. If you have been a shrewd steward over unrighteous mammon, you will be received into heaven by many friends. Well, who are they? They seem to be all those who have in any way benefited by your use or giving of mammon to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a television commercial right now. It's for a bank. I'm not sure what bank, and I, uh, I'm really not even sure what the point of the commercial is. But it starts with a, a dollar bill that has a red dot on it. Anybody seen that commercial? Uh, I know you watch TV. But anyway, I'm just kidding. The television. Get that television out of my house. But anyway, or as Daryl Mansfield says, they're not telling my vision. But uh, anyway, so they, it starts off, there's this dollar bill and it's got a red dot on it. And by the way, what's up with that? I hate to get money that has been written on. Happy birthday, Doug. (laughs) Am I supposed to keep that money for the rest of my life? You know, happy birthday, Doug. No, I I have it on Gene. You know, it means nothing to me. I want it. Don't you want to get rid of money like that? And and where they color in the face of George Washington and put mustaches on him and stuff. Weird. I don't. Why don't do that? People fold their money up real little and stuff. Anyway, so there's this dollar bill, and it's got a red dot on it. And it gets, it's, it, they follow this dollar bill as it gets exchanged for goods and services, and it goes through this whole thing until it gets to, I think, a, a card that a grandma is putting together for her grandson. And I think, what a cheapskate grandmother. A dollar is all you, the card costs more than that. So the commercial fails as far as, I don't even know what it's about, but it's interesting because I think it illustrates this point. Let's say you're here in church this morning and you put a dollar in the offering basket or box. That dollar goes into the accounting of the entire church, and so there's a sense in which everything that the church spends money on, that dollar is a part of it. And let's say just the part of it that we spend on missions and we support a missionary with gospel for Asia over in Nepal. And, and, and so everything that he does and says, that dollar has now become a part of being invested in that man's ministry. And then let's go even farther, if your mind can still handle this, and he creates converts, and, and then they go out and share the gospel, and by the time you get to heaven, your one dollar can have had such a magnificent effect, you can't even begin to add it up. And you and I sit here and we think, well, it would be so infinitesimal, the the decimal point on that. 
How does one dollar get translated into that much? But you know what? This is how God does math. And you're going to be in heaven one day if you ever gave a dollar to the work of the Lord. And after your accounting is over, the first thing that's going to happen is some Nepalese Christians are going to come over and say, thank you very much. And you're going to say, who are you guys? And you're going to say, we're the guys from Nepal who your dollar on June, you know, whatever, what's the date, the 12th, led to Jesus Christ. And and I, I really believe that because that's what the Word of God says. Now, you and I can sit here all we want and think that a dollar's not worth anything. Hey, hang on for a minute. I'm going to hammer you in a minute about how much you give, so just hold that thought. But, uh, but seriously, that's the point. That is what Jesus is saying. God wants you to invest your money in the furthering of his kingdom on earth. He can and he will further his kingdom without your financial involvement. But he's giving you an opportunity to invest your money in ways that will pay you eternal dividends. Hold your wallet now. You should give to the Lord's work. Sometimes I say that we don't talk about money here at Calvary Chapel. What I mean is that we do not beg you for your money or manipulate your offerings. We talk about money a lot because the Bible mentions it a lot. So how much should you give? In the New Testament, the question isn't how much, it's just how. You're not given a percentage, you're given principles to guide you in giving. And you are to give, the Bible says in the New Testament, joyfully, regularly, generously and sacrificially i don't know how much that is for you i can only know how much that is for me it could be 90 percent of my income it could be one percent of my income i don't know you'll have to answer that question yourself if you want a percentage well then a tithe or 10 percent is a good solid figure in the old testament it would be a good place to begin Now, since I mentioned the tithe, let me have some fun with this for a minute. I want to share some statistics with you, just a couple of things. Statistical research conducted by the Barna Group, which does research among Christians primarily, indicates that less than 10% of Christians give at least 10%. Less than 10% of Christians give at least 10%. And interestingly, the research shows without a doubt, the more a Christian makes, the less likely they are to tithe. The percentage of your income given decreases as your wealth increases. A lot of people think, man, if I made more money, I would give more money. Statistics show that when you make more money, you give statistically less money. Now, I just throw that out there to let you think about that because you know jesus this is what he was saying to his disciples he was saying there are shrewd people in fact some of you are probably shrewd people about how you invest your money in the world you know we all uh you know know somebody who's a 25 year old guy who can retire because he became a day trader and, and uh, you know, he invested over here and over there, and he watched Wayne Rogers on television, and Neil Cavuto is his hero, you know, and, and he's watching all these financial shows and stuff. Shrewd. He took his money and he invested shrewdly, and now he's, he's set as long as stock market doesn't crash like it did. You know, but generally speaking, we, and the Lord is saying, why don't we do that as Christians with that same money and forget about some of those investments and give a dollar to Nepal? 
Because when you get to heaven, there's going to be a thousand or a million Nepalese Christians because of what you did. And so that, that's what we're talking about this morning. Whether it's by percentage or by principle, it's up to you to audit your investment of mammon. Is it joyful? Is it regular? Is it generous? Is it a sacrifice? Now, while I would never suggest anyone will be sad or deficient in any way in heaven, I must point out that Jesus said some people will have more friends there than others based upon their use of mammon. And this is what I mean. You will have made more friends. There will be more Nepalese Christians coming up to you than me. If you get, do you know what I mean? I mean, you won't be sad. Nobody's going to be weeping or, ah, I wish I had given that extra buck, you know, the one with the round dot on it. But instead of putting it into that commercial, wow, what was up with that? But anyway, but it's true. Jesus said, hey, when you get to heaven, there's a possibility that, that what you invested in the kingdom of God is going to pay greater and greater dividends. And wouldn't it be great? Don't you want to have friends in high places? All right. No more jokes the rest of the way. Actually, we were joking after first service, I have to tell you. I just, I, I, right on the line there, but uh, I thought we would take one of the offering boxes and put it out in the walkway and say, last chance to tithe, you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> oh, all right, anyway. In light of this story, look at your checkbook and ask yourself, am I a squandering steward? Or am I a shrewd steward? Second, you can be shrewd with your mammon by being faithful. Verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? It's a bedrock spiritual principle that you must be faithful in small things before you can be trusted with larger things. The opposite is true. If you are unjust, meaning unfaithful, with a little, then you would squander a lot. Jesus applied that principle to mammon. If you will not use the resources of the earth, which are temporary and perishing, to further the kingdom of God for eternity, then you should not be trusted with greater spiritual resources. Jesus refers to earthly resources by saying they are another man's. That probably emphasizes the temporary nature of earthly resources. There's a sense in which everything you have, money and possessions, is another man's. Either it came to you from somebody else, or you'll leave it for somebody else, right? You don't take it with you. Maybe you just bought a new car. Uh, it's really not yours because, you know, you're going to leave it somebody. It's going to be another man's if you die. It's going to go to somebody else and, and all of that. So that's what he's saying. It says, really, all we do is we have some wealth for a, a brief period of time that just kind of comes through our life from somebody else to us to somebody else. Let's use it while we can to further the kingdom. You can't take it with you, but you can make it work for you, investing it in shrewd ways that will reward you in eternity. If you're struggling spiritually, Jesus would suggest you audit your financial life are you investing in his kingdom? If not, then he won't entrust greater spiritual responsibility to you. And third, you can be shrewd with your mammon and have fealty. Now, I know fealty is a weird word, but it's the right word. Fealty, as most of you who 
graduated high school? No. Is the loyalty and allegiance that you owe to your master. It's an old English word, and it starts with the letter F, and it fit perfectly with my study. But it really is the right word. And so in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Another basic bedrock spiritual principle is that you were created to serve. If you do not serve God, you will serve something or someone else. You cannot be independent. You cannot be your own God or master. That was the desire of Lucifer. And it was the lie he told our parents in the Garden of Eden. You see the problems it has caused believing we could be our own masters. When God is your master... Mammon is your servant. If God is not your master, mammon will be, and you will waste your life rather than invest it. Every Christian desires to hear Jesus say to him or her, well done in your accounting. Since you will give an account, it only makes sense to constantly audit yourself in preparation. In eternity, it will seem only obvious that you should have been shrewd with your resources rather than squander them. Only you can accurately audit your life, and only with God's assistance. You know, God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not telling people that they can't have hobbies, that they can't have vacations, uh, you know, that you need to sell all of your goods to uh, minister to the poor. 1 Corinthians 13 says you can do that and not have love. It's not about that. It's about having an intimate talk with God and saying, you know, Lord, am I using my resources shrewdly? If I'm giving 10%, is that enough? Am I stuck at 10% as if I was doing enough so I'm not really thinking anymore about my giving? It's automatic. And Lord, that's a blessing, but what do you want me to do? If I'm not giving 10%, Lord, why am I not doing that? Am I waiting to make more money? Well, I know I'm never going to give more if I wait, statistically. Maybe I'll be the statistical anomaly, but... uh, You know, and so it's a time for you to get together with the Lord and to review your own finances. Don't bring them to me. And we're not going to come to you. We're not that kind of church. You know, there's churches, they know what you make. Some of you, your pay grade is out there. You know, if you work in the military or certain civil service positions, everybody knows what you make. And your church knocks on your door. Hey, this dollar you gave, it's uh, with the red dot. It's a little bit short. It's about $900 short, you know, or whatever and stuff. And, and I mean, people do that. I w- I'd ask you right now to raise your hand, but I want, uh, you know, some of you have had the church leadership of churches come over to you and, and uh, you know, your tithe is a joke, you know, where is it and stuff. We're never going to do that. But you should get alone with the Lord and don't dismiss this and say, well, you know, Gene's kind of crazy. That one joke he told put me off. I'm offended. I don't have to think about it. <laughs> that whole tithe box thing, you know. I'm thinking about that. But anyway, <laughs> all of us have some mammon either to squander or to shrewdly invest. And I'm not saying that the things you spend on yourself are squandering. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, there's things I like. Coffee. But anyway, you know, and all of us have those things, and God, God's into that, you know. But we still need to constantly audit our lives because we are going to give an accounting. If you're not a Christian, 
Mammon is your master. I don't care if you believe that or not. It is. You are its servant, and you will eventually be its slave. Jesus is going to tell another story in just a few verses, perhaps the most chilling story in all the Word of God. Not a parable, because he uses real names and real people. And he's going to tell the story about the rich man and Lazarus. And I'm going to spoil the ending for you. They both die. The Lazarus is carried to heaven by angels. He was a poor beggar. The rich man awakes in hell. Actually, Hades, but he's headed for hell. And he's going to suffer torment for all eternity. And so this issue is very serious. And so you might not be a believer and you think, well, I, I, mammon is not my God. I, I don't worship money. That's crazy. You know, get beyond that. The Lord is saying, if you don't serve me, you serve someone or something else. You, 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 as Bob Dylan sang, you've got to serve somebody. That is a bedrock principle. You are not, notwithstanding this is a great nation and we're independent, we have the declaration, there is no spiritual declaration of independence. There can be a, the American Declaration of Independence, government, and we're happy for that. There is no spiritual declaration of independence. The spiritual declaration of independence is what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve said, let's eat. We're declaring our independence from God. We're going to be like God. Oh, yeah, you're going to be naked and realize it. You're going to be hiding in bushes covered with fig leaves for a while. You're going to watch your oldest son kill your next oldest son. You're going to bring heartache and, and tragedy like you can't imagine into the human race because you have to serve someone. And so don't fool yourself. Choose today whom you will serve, God or someone or something else. Let's pray together. Father, we appreciate that you were a straight-talking Savior, if I can say that, Lord. You didn't mince words. And you turned to your disciples. Lord, right after you told the story of the prodigal son, the wasteful son, then you spoke of wasteful Christians, squandering Christians. And Lord, your words, they, they're just as powerful today as they ever were. Lord, I know my brothers and sisters here, all of us want to hear you say, well done. And we all desire, Lord, to be shrewd stewards. And we just need occasional accountings, or excuse me, audits, as we approach our accounting. And I pray that today would serve as a, uh, a refresher, and that we would audit our lives. It's not that the church needs more money or that you need more money. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You're the God of creation. You don't need anything. It's that you desire our blessing Lord and what's best for us you give us an opportunity to invest to see people saved and so I pray that we would take a, a good hard look at those things and Lord if there are people here who are not Christians that they would surrender Lord to you give up those things that are the master over them now and surrender to you we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name amen let's stand together the Lord is so good. Some of our guys will be down here up front to pray with you. Maybe you are here today and you're not a Christian. And uh, you, you want to know more about how to give your life to Jesus Christ, how to become a Christian. They'd be happy. Oh, 
that's an understatement. They'd be blessed to share with you uh, how you can pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Love to see you on Wednesday night as we're studying through the Bible. We're going to finish the book of Joshua, where Joshua says, another guy that didn't mince words, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. Amen. God bless you.